Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of the New York City Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios, uh, joined uh, via telephone with Nastasia Hammer-Lopez. How you doing, Stas? I'm good. I would uh, normally ask you if you did anything interesting over the week, but uh, we actually recorded uh, our normal show yesterday, so I'm assuming that you had nothing really interesting happen in the past 24 hours from a culinary perspective. Is that true? Yeah. True. Yeah, true, true. Uh, and uh, also joined back in the studio, we have John. How you doing, John? Doing good, thanks. Yeah? Yeah. Anything? Glad to... Glad to uh, I didn't have you yesterday, so you have no, a whole know, yeah. week and day's worth of time to come up with some interesting culinary facts for me, and the look on your face tells me that you have not. False, Dave. False. Oh! I went to uh, the British steakhouse, uh, Hawksmoor. Oh, yeah? How was yeah. it? Very good. Very good. Yeah? Good steaks. Yeah, I cooked over the charcoals and ate a lot of food for one person. Yeah? Yeah, I got a 20, you know, six oysters, 24-ounce porterhouse, Ooh. cream spinach, fries, sticky toffee pudding, cheesecake, and a cheese course. Now, am I allowed to have the same uh, hot take that everyone else has about the porterhouse? Not possible to cook it, right? Yeah, True. Like, why, what made you go for the port? Look, I understand there's a certain, like, 70s about the porterhouse. There's a certain, like, you know. Yeah, I think that was it. You know, I just felt like. A mystique. Doing it up. Yeah, I don't know. Just, I wanted to, I just wanted, like, a, like, a classic steakhouse kind of meal. So, which side was cooked properly, the filet or the other side? The other side. (laughs) (laughs) So, the filet was hammered, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A little over. But it it was still very good. I'm also going to take another and, you know, uh, how about this? Someone remind me to get back to the hot take on steak. We'll get back to it. I'll go, go through the whole thing. Do we have uh, Senior Molecules on the, on the line? We have Jackie? Or is he not? Is he, is he here? I haven't spoken to him yet today. Molecules on the, on the oh, line? I'm here. What's I'm, up, Jack? How you doing? Hey, man. I'm great. It actually rained this morning in L.A. Crazy. Is that uncommon? Yes. Yeah. You know Especially what, in the summer. You know what I like? I like rain. What? I like rain. Yeah, me too. Remember that? Uh, remember that uh, group garbage? Oh yeah, I'm only happy when it rains. Yeah, yeah. only happy when it's complicated. Great song, great band. Uh, do people still listen to? Do people still listen to garbage? Or did that fall uh, by the wayside? I mean, it's a perfect name for me. Know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the reason that aren't they Scottish? I don't know. No, garbage was here from the states, right? Weren't they? They're from Wisconsin? I, I don't know. Really? Is it, maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. I don't Wisconsin know. is pretty much the Scotland of the U.S. I know they recorded at Smart Studios because I wanted to work there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Anyway, uh, I would go to that reunion concert, assuming everyone's still alive and in decent. Yeah, Madison, Madison, Wisconsin, by the way. You're right, Joe. Oh, Madison. Well, that makes yeah. sense. All right. Uh, the reason we are recording on a special day, so for those of you that are just, you know, listening on the regular internet, uh, you know, you won't notice that this is a special day. But the reason uh, that we're recording on a special day is because it is the day that the founders, Chip Malt and Jake Kalick from Maiden, are here. And it's the first time, is that true? No. We've had a Nova come on to talk about things, uh, but about a specific oven. This is the first time we're bringing in uh, a basically a whole equipment company to talk to us because we thought it was something that our listeners would be interested in hearing the process on because that's who our listeners are. So welcome, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having us. How's, it, how, how's everything going? What are you guys in town for? Are you allowed to say? Or is it super top secret, evil? 
Uh, half of it's really exciting. The other half will probably put the listeners to sleep. I mean, Chip, do you want to talk about your project in town? Uh, yeah, so uh, Chip Malt here. <laughs> I run the e-commerce and digital side of the business, so I'm in town speaking at a conference. So, okay. That's the part that will put everyone <laughs> to sleep. So well, no, they, what, everybody loves a conference. Yeah. I was just having this conversation with uh, Dr. Jessica Harris yesterday. Uh, you know, uh, the curator from African slash American, which you can still see up. It's got extended for a month at MoFAD. Please go to MoFAD. Uh, you have an extra month to see it. Don't sleep on it. And uh, we were just talking about the fact that it's those kind of conferences that actually have the money to go to cities when it's nice to go to them. Yeah. As opposed to Tales of the Cocktail, which was started with no money and therefore had to be in New Orleans in the middle of July, which is... No offense, a crap time to visit New Orleans unless you really, really, really like physical discomfort. If there's something about you that doesn't like to be dry or comfortable, then New Orleans is a fantastic place to be in July. And she's like, yeah, Essence Festival started there at the same time. Same reason. Same reason. Uh, you know, we're just not an industry with a lot of money. So I'm sure the e-commerce folk have the cash to spend on a nice crap toss as we used to call it in the trade right a good little convention totally. huh? it was yeah. a great conference i mean a yeah. lot of uh talk about future of marketing uh, obviously a lot of disruptions in the marketing world right now with apple privacy and things like that so a lot of trend talk but also as you mentioned a lot of great events um we were able to go to you know, nobu and a couple other nice restaurants out of it so that's uh, great, uh, great uh, trip. Uh, you know i've never been to nobu what yeah any of the nobus nope no nope. you know why dummy i'm a dummy here's another <laughs> here's some other places uh Back in the day, even though it was literally my job to do so, I never went to El Bulli, right? I never went to Trotter's Restaurant when it was open, which was dumb because I knew the guy. I just, you know, when I was in Chicago, I didn't go. I did go to uh, Alinea, obviously, and I even went to Moto back in the yep, day. Didn't go, to, didn't go to Trotter's Joint. I've never been to Per Se. I went to Alan Ducasse's Essex House. Okay. But I missed the multiple... Pe- so for those of you that don't know, uh, Alain Ducasse is... Uh, he's still super famous, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but for those young people who are like, I don't pay attention to anyone who's old, right? <laughs> Ducasse was a middle-of-the-road... Correct me if I'm wrong. He was a middle-of-the-road chef. Gets in an airplane accident. Like, like gets caught. It's like trapped out like after this airplane accident. And I think that's how he injured his eye. I could be making all this up. This could be a fever dream, but I'm pretty sure it's true. So while he's waiting to get rescued, and John, you checking up on me here? Oh, yeah. Well, well, he's waiting to get rescued. He's like, I'm going to become the world's greatest chef. And then, and then he just started like, goes bananas and like goes on like a Michelin star frenzy. You know what I mean? And when he opened up Essex House here in New York, I'm going to want to say this is like 08 or something. I don't remember exactly when because, you know, time blurs. John is so not believing me right now that he's literally going on the internet to check this out. The word, the word back in the day was that he was hanging upside down from a tree clinging to life. That, I'm sure, is an exaggeration. Anyway, uh, so when he opened up in New York, New York is famous for being buttheads, right? Just extreme jerks, you know what I mean, to people if you're trying to do anything outside of our box, right? You, know, you guys know this as, as selling to us. I'm sure we're a decent size market. Our customers are all very nice. No jerks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I found that in our bar, too. Like, I really liked our... I think what it is is that if New Yorkers get rubbed the wrong way in media, we go bananas, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Essex House was a very kind of staid, you know, old-school French stuff. With a, but the frills were old-school fr- frills, right? 
And one of the things that they did, and this is remember when WD was going great guns and, you know, Grant was doing his thing over in, in Chicago and all this stuff was happening. It was all about being new. America had just started looking away from France as being the leaders and everything. And they look towards, we're looking towards ourselves and other places. And uh, they had this thing where the meal was absurdly priced. And they would bring out like a pen selection so that you could choose what pen you wrote your check with. And they just got freaking hosed in the media <laughs> for that. They're like, just schlacked. Anyway. So what made you choose Alinea and not Trotters and this first, that, not that? Uh, well, Alinea, when I was in Chicago, we had two meals that at that time. And I was going to, which we can talk about, the McCormick Place, world's worst I don't know what's worse, the Javits Center, which is our convention center here in New York, or McCormick Place in Chicago. Go discuss Javits. Uh, I'd, say Mc, <laughs> I'd say McCormick because McCormick, there is so little food options around that place. Like Javits, I think you can get to a decent restaurant quicker. Um, now you can. So Not you're stuck years ago. at McCormick with nowhere to eat all day, and you're waiting for that bus. You have to take the McCormick bus back to wherever your hotel is. But the Javits. When you're inside of it, when you're in, in a trade show situation, the Javits was designed by the devil to show you that you weren't <laughs> worth living. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, standing on the trade floor, which I've had to do several times on the Javits all day is just mm. like it's just a punishment. Depressing lighting. Yeah. You know what? Anyone who's going to start a business. So I hope that someone out there is thinking of starting a business and that what we're about to talk to is somewhat useful f- for them. Because believe it or not. Well, people don't like direct competition. Like every person that I've ever met who I like, it wants other people to succeed going forward. Right? Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that you guys, new people, younger people, won't have to do is probably stand on a trade show in the old school way because not the way it used to be. Like I'm sure they can't be as bad as they used to be. Like orders trade trade shows where you have to stand around and wait for orders to come in and like. But that made trade shows worth it. Now we don't get orders. We just stand there. But why, why even go anymore? I don't know. You, you kind of have to kiss the ring of the, the cookware elite and, you know, do the whole whatever. But you learn something. You see new ideas. But I, I think they're going away. We were just in the Chicago Houseware Trade Show, and it was pretty quiet. I think people took COVID as a chance to break the traditional, you know, like, events. I mean, I remember, like, a lot of the, a lot of the old trade shows kind of started going out of business. Some of the ones still were, like, especially the ones where you have to eat stuff. So the so-called fancy food show. Uh, you know, I get it. And I feel you know, for your stuff, like people want to like touch the product and you don't necessarily want to ship a full line out to people and you can kind of show people up close. I get it. Right. Um, there used to be a, a, a book that you, you were supposed to read that I was started reading in, um, in like the late nineties. Uh, like, you know, how to do your first trade show. And it was this book called trade show gorilla. And like gorilla, not like, ooh, ooh, but like, you know, like gorilla warfare. Uh. And, uh, it was kind of an amazing book because when you're doing a trade show, you can't really be a person. It's kind of, it's, it's similar. And believe it or not, if you've ever worked a shift on the floor of like a restaurant, you know how like punishing it is to have to be on all the time and everyone's looking at you and you're always catering and you can't be yourself and you can't like just look at your watch like you're bored and you can't like, you know, go on your phone and start like looking at stuff or reading some sort of book. You have to be in service mode the whole time. Now imagine doing that in a trade show situation where even when there are no guests in your place, you have to have that eager, 
beaver look that I'm doing business. It's a nightmare. It's like, how tired are you at the end of the day after a trade show? Exhausted. We actually had a pretty interesting trade show experience. We did a trade show and then we did a food and wine festival, which is essentially a trade show for consumers, right? And the restaurant trade show was dominated by vendors selling Impossible Burgers and other kind of non-meat-based things. That was the theme of the show. Next week, consumer-based, didn't see one of them. Um, so super interesting. I mean, if that's you see that as a lagging indicator, you see obviously those things are coming and coming in force and it was probably, uh, probably 80% of the floor we were on was, was those kind of... Um, alternative meats and, and non-meat Really? So, yeah. So do you feel misplaced? Oh, that's the other thing. When you're in a trade show, you get a giant map of the trade show floor. By the way, McCormick, we can get, so we're going to get, so you get a giant map of the trade show floor and you have to pick where you're going to be. Well, you Incorrect. don't get, you don't you do don't it get anymore? Pick, I used to You don't get pick. to pick if you're two years old. They put uh, you in the back of the back of the back oh, of McCormick. Oh, jeez, Louise. It used to be, because I haven't had to buy my own trade show slot since like the early 2000s. And it used to be you're like, oh, well, yeah, well, first of all, you don't have the money. You're in a crappy little booth. But you get to say, you at least tell them what they do, and you're in a section of people related to you. If you get put in the wrong part of the trade show, you're toast. Because the buyers just don't come next to you. You know right. what I mean? That, that's the kiss the ring I was saying. Like, you got to do your time. You get to move up. You get more selection. You get to be in a better area. We were like the bathroom vendors with, like, the candy, right right in the way back. Oh, my God. I it was, it was the, fun. the only time I had my own booth, we were, we were selling handbags. My wife and I had a leather handbag business, and we were we were selling them. I forget the name of the show. Uh, and the second time I had my own booth was the very first uh, Museum of Food and Drink event. I did the uh, American Country Hams in like '04, and they gave me a booth. Uh, that actually wasn't punishing because I felt like I was doing something that I needed to. It wasn't punishing. The leather bag one, punishing, terrible. And we were next to people who were selling like cut rate jewelry stuff. So none of the leather handbag people were coming. It's okay. okay. If you're a buyer and you're going to one of these trade shows, go to the wrong zones and just scan because you're going to find the gem that the other fools didn't find right or wrong. Good, good spin zone. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Please. And help those poor sons of, (laughs) okay. So, uh, interesting that, uh, we're talking about McCormick, uh, because actually, the restaurant equipment, the housewares business really kind of started, although our first show apparently was the first couple of shows were in New York, but really the actual, like the, 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 uh, what was it? It was the NRA, right? Yeah. And all that stuff started with at, in the McCormick area. And so it's kind of like hyper historical, important th- those shows, the Chicago shows to the housewares industry. Is that maintained to now? Yeah. Uh, NRA was great. We were there a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, I won't say anything yeah, negative about the restaurant it. NRA. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah. The other NRA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I used to do shows. Anyway, <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, Jake, you come from. So you come, Chip. You come from an e-commerce background. Correct. Right. Uh, which obviously is vitally important to you. Oh, for those of you that don't know, Made In is uh, a brand of. Uh, what do you call it? Kitchenware. Kitchenware. There you go. Because it, it, you do, you do. Started with pot, like pans, p- pots and pans, but you also do knives. Uh, apparently, your wooden spoon is much beloved. That's Jake's brainchild. Cult following. Cult yeah, following. On the wooden spoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I noticed uh, uh, Steve, your your engineer was uh, was uh, pushing for using the wooden spoon on your on your Teflon on your on your Teflon pans. We could get into customer service here, but we get into a lot of trouble when we 
show videos of of our of our cooks using metal on nonstick uh, because then the writers write and say I used metal and I scratched it and it's broken so we try to make it as foolproof as possible. All right. Well, before I get into history, then let's just get down <laughs> to the utensils on your clad section, right? Yeah. So your, the first products that you guys launched were the were your clad were your clad pants, yep. right? Yep. And uh, what do you what do you call uh, in what's the non branded fully clad M- multi clad multi clad? Yep. But like in other words, like the difference between like disc versus like fully clad. You call it multi clad. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, John, should we just get into? Should we do this as we get and then jump around go back and forth from history and equipment, yeah. history and equipment, back and forth? We're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you look it up? Was I correct about uh, about he, your boy Ducasse? He was the sole survivor of a plane crash. Was stuck out there for seven hours, but he'd been cooking a long time before that. He was, but he was basically yeah. he was like just a high end normal dude. He was middle of the range. He wasn't a. Sh- I'm not saying he was a shoemaker. Yeah, I don't know. He was working for like Roger Verger and working for yeah. working for. Does he still uh, have yeah. the most Michelin stars of any chef? I think he does. Still he does, to this yeah. day? Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't freaking Alain Ducasse. I sat across from him once at a lunch at WD50. It was crazy. It was Alain Ducasse, uh, Jose Andres, uh, uh, freaking, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Ferran Adria, right? And because they were, they were, ta- they put them next to each other so that they, you could yakety because not everyone could speak, you know, Catalan, right? And, and, <laughs> and then I think that Dave Chang was at that table because he, even though he wasn't famous yet, he was, I mean, he was kind of famous. He was like noodle bar famous, but he wasn't like, you know, the, the, the Chang monster that he is now. And, uh, he was there because he was Wiley's buddy and they put me there because I, you know, knew Chang, you know what I mean? And so that was kind of, it's surprisingly intensely boring conversation. <laughs> it's like <laughs> super, super boring conversation. Cause Ferran was like, just like, I don't speak the language that these buttheads speak. And so he just kind of s- stared around or whatever. You know what I mean? Ducasse was just there being Ducasse. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, Nastasia, you agree with this. You'd rather just hang out with your buddies and hang out with a, with a, with a, with a bunch of people just to say you hung out with them, right? Yeah, definitely. You know yeah. Stas, like, Nastasia would rather, I mean, she doesn't dislike hanging out with, with big wigs and famous people, but. If someone's going to be boring, she doesn't want that. She hates that. She still does not let me forget. Anytime I make her hang out with someone that she considers boring, she freaking hands it to me for years and years, right, Saz? Yeah. 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 So that's not, yeah. Get back, to, get back to me then. Well, anyway. And the other thing is, though, is that, ah, whatever. Whatever. Okay. I will, I'll get back to what we're talking about. What the hell were we talking about? Oh, pants, clad. Uh, so that was the first thing uh, that you came that you came out with, right? Yeah. Um, in your care instructions, because I carefully read your care instructions yesterday on your website, uh, you also don't recommend metal tools on the clad. Is that a mistake, or do you really not recommend metal tools on the clad? Or did you have somebody hit it with an with, with a mallet? Like what? What? We serve two kind of customers, right? We have, we have a pretty big customer base. We have what we call the prosumer customers, or even the professional cooks that understand that you can use a fish bat on a multi-clad piece of cookware and it's just fine. We have some customers that see us on TV and like the idea of Grand Ackets using our stuff and buy our stuff and who knows what they're using on it. So in order to keep those kind of customers as happy as possible, we try to make sure we accommodate their cooking styles, right? But I'm, I'm going to say this though. I'm going to say this. If I'm like, you know, like uh you know, random consumer. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm random consumer, yep. which I definitely... You're not. I'm not. Not just just because, like, uh, sometimes I intentionally punish things just to see 
what the hell is going to happen to them. You know, I think I told that story where this person told me that her blender pitcher was unbreakable. So I threw it on the ground as hard as I could and started stomping <laughs> on it. Like Uncle Buck. Remember? Yeah, you guys yeah. see Uncle Buck? He's like, he accidentally drops a plate and he goes, hmm, unbreakable, and then <laughs> shatters it. Anyway, yeah, we've, done, we've done similar stuff. I mean, we've run, yeah. run over the pans with cars and trucks and things like that. So, uh, similar, similar hopefully, hopefully you didn't have any Elon Musk moments uh, with uh, your, your, your windows breaking. Cybertruck? Yeah, Cybertruck moments with your windows breaking. Although I have to say, my Subaru windows would not have survived uh, Fritz hitting him with a sledgehammer either. I don't know that you want a guy named Fritz hitting your stuff with a sledgehammer. <laughs> like in a guy in a tight black t-shirt named Fritz hitting your... Anyway. He'll break anything. Yeah, he'll break anything. It's going to go through it. So uh, if I'm a consumer and you tell me not to use metal in my clad pans and there's a there and you know who they are you know who I'm talking about there's that consumer out there who's going to listen to you and they're going to use crappy cuz let's face it John back me up on this I'm not going to make them say anything nylon sucks yeah yeah nylon spatulas freaking blow and before you guys like get angry at me about it first of all if you're cooking with proper heat in a lot of situations the nylon's going to get this little weird like lip where it like semi melts i'm not saying nylon's getting into your food that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that it's just the, the surface of it like lips over but even that i can tolerate cuz i can shave that off with a knife what i although you know be careful but what i can't tolerate is that a nylon spatula when it gets warm, when you do like a rest over in an oven, it gets a permanent set. And that permanent set on your nylon means that when you're, when you're moving stuff out, you get so many drops off of that nylon and it never acts the way you want. It doesn't move stuff around the way you want. It's just trash, right? Silicone is typically too soft. No one has figured out a way to, you know, no one has figured out a way to make, I'm fine with um, nylon tipped uh, tongs and whatnot, you know what I mean? Although, uh, you know, uh, Steve, you know, who did the video. Legend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching these videos. So he he said that you're going to use these nylon tongs on the nonstick pan to move fish. And I want you to know that I'm not forwarding that to Wiley (laughs) or Dave Chang because... I, I think I mentioned on the air before that, like, the closest I ever, second closest, Nastasia remembers the closest I ever got caught to getting hit by Dave Chang in a meeting. Remember that, Stas? <laughs> yeah, and we should not tell that story. We won't tell that story. But let's just say a lot of silver backing in that meeting. Do you got, well, yeah. we'll get back into me, but, like, was when an argument I had at a restaurant uh, about the use of tongs, wherein I said tongs are an appropriate tool to use in the kitchen and they shouted at me saying that uh they weren't ever appropriate because someone might use them on fish and i was like hey man hey man you know hey uh i mean we 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 do wholeheartedly agree with you we're coming announcement we're coming out with a a, a utensil set in the fall oh, nice five pieces breaking news no f- five pieces a metal fish spat Fully metal tongs, and then we've got the upsell upsell nonstick spatula uh, for for those for those customers that want a nonstick spat. So so we're very much in your camp, right? Like we we know we know the tools that that make sense. But yeah, and the, the good news is the customers who will not use well the, the people who know what to do they'll ignore the care instructions, right? Um, we're not making those care instructions for the customers who right. don't know what they're doing. Right, but my point is though, 
my point is, is that the person who doesn't know what they're doing is going to have a more negative experience than they should because they're going to follow your instructions and it's actually going to make their life worse. That's the issue I have if someone's using nylon or silicone spatula in one of your fully clad pants. That's yeah. that's the only thing that makes me. It's, it's, a, it's a fair point and it's we could talk about like the struggles in running a business and you have the stakeholder that oversees customer support versus the stakeholder who designs product. And it's a consistent wrestling match about who wins in the voice of the room, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's terrible. Like uh, the stuff that we have, uh, I was talking to uh, someone the other day, and just like the fact that you have to put Prop 65 warnings saying that your materials cause cancer on your boxes, and then people are like, then they write negative Amazon, well, you know, for us, they write negative Amazon reviews saying, it says on the package it causes cancer. I'm like... (laughs) I have to say it. It's like our lawyers won't let me sell it if I don't write that. There's nothing that's going to cause cancer in it, you know? It's like... Our Hertz Rent-A-Car had a Prop 65 warning. Last really? Week. Yep. On the I door. Mean, I mean, I have to say, there's a lot of stuff in a car that will cause cancer. Yeah. But, I mean, no more so than anybody else's car. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, anyway. So what we're trying to do with that YouTube channel is teach people how to use our products um, to the best of their abilities and inspire them to cook. And so when we have the uh, utensil collection, which uh, hopefully PR doesn't get mad about us leaking here uh, for the first time, like that will be a great opportunity for us to come out and teach people how to use utensils correctly because that will be from us. We designed it um, and then we can show them how to use it. So I like uh, that. Okay, so, 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 so since this is new information... I can't, I don't, I literally, people, this is not staged. I have no yeah. idea that this is coming. So I'm going to ask some random questions. John, what's the worst problem? What are the two worst things that happen with tongs? What are, what are your two least favorite things? And maybe they're different from mine. I don't know. I've had my tongs for 12 years. I like them a lot. Really? Yeah. Okay. Average metal tongs. Yeah. They've never failed me. They're extra long, but they're, they're great. Well, first of all, um, as a home person, I have a set of super mini tongs that mm-hmm. I use for salad bowls because they don't fall out of a salad bowl. One of the big mm-hmm. people, you need a small, you need mo- you need more than one set of tongs. You, there's not one tong for all things. Everybody who's ever used tongs to serve salad for family meal knows that the way you should serve salad is with tongs. And if you're sitting there using two hands with these goofy 1970s <laughs> like freaking like you know giant like weird like sporks and forget it. You know what I mean? Tong, also a decent way to toss salad. Tong is a great thing for salad. But on the table, the long tongs, the cooking tongs that you use, keep getting knocked out of the bowl, leaves everywhere, nightmare. You need to get a short set of tongs for salad. However, the two things that go wrong with tongs for me is, not all of them, but... uh, Certain locking mechanisms fail, like uh, oh, yeah. so the old yeah. hip lock ones where you uh, you can't see what I'm doing, folks, but you clench the tongs and then you pop the uh, the back against. They fail constantly. Hate, hate. Uh, whereas the ones that pull, the the ones that you pull, while it is a two handed operation instead of a one handed operation, they do lock better, but they don't lock as tight as the pop guys do. So, in in my opinion. The, the handles of tongs could use the thing. But here's the thing. Maybe there's only specific to people who love deep frying the way I do. Deep frying with tongs is dangerous. Your, your gut tells you, I want to fry with a tong because, hell yeah, I want to fry with a tong. I want to turn that thing over. I want to take that piece of chicken and I want to move it upside down into my oil while I'm jiggling, jiggling it around. But anyone who has ever taken something out of a deep fryer with tongs and lifted it over 90 degrees or over parallel with the floor has gotten a terrible burn to tell you about from the oil running down. And is this a solvable problem? Are you going to solve it? Maybe not in the first rev. Maybe you've already been thinking about this. But the oil down the tong to me 
is like if someone could solve that problem of the of the fry person having the burnt wrist, that would be they would be doing a good service, even if no one ever knew that this had been engineered into their tongs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, the the big problem for us solving is the locking mechanism, right? Because because I, I I used to sell restaurant equipment to chefs, right? And that's where the business started. Ninety five percent of chefs buy the Edlin tongs that don't have the locking mechanism, right? Five percent do, but at home, right? You know, other way like around. Mechanism. Yeah, because at a restaurant, we're all just go pop 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 pop. We're yep. sticking them over the metro. You know yep. what I mean? And we just went, we're grabbing the one side of the tong and flipping, going yep. right, right, yep. and. Yeah, so the restaurant tongs are also like, they're all beat to hell. I don't know what the hell people are playing drums with them. I don't know what the hell, how beat the hell they are. I think they are. I think they are playing really? know, rhythm with them. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. And they never go out to the table anyway. But at home, mainly people are using yeah. locks. Yeah. Uh, so you've been working on the locking magazine? Working on a lock that locks. My problem with locks is they get janky and then they don't allow the tongs to fully open all the way. So you end up like oh, kind of stabbing at whatever you're cooking. So that, I, that's the first thing we're working on. Yeah, I have a bunch that, like I said before, that over the years the lock no longer functions and you'll put it in your drawer because home people put them in drawers mm-hmm. and then pop in the drawer. And then when the tong turns as your drawer opens, I've said this, I've said this before, if, if, if any kitchen designers are out there, any designers at all, when you make drawers, the average drawer when it's designed... So you design the box out of ply, and then there's a, another piece of wood across the top to, to brace it to give it strength. Yeah, just push that wood all the way to the back. Make that piece of wood go all the way to the back. It's because there should never be a situation where a tong can pop up, or God forbid, a knife. I've had it happen in my knife mm-hmm. drawer, and it sticks into the top. Then what? Now what? You have to... You have to get like your your child. Hopefully Another they're small enough. Yeah, yeah. Get oh wow, that'd be smart. Yeah, yeah. I've had to get a bore scope out. That's... I've had to get a bore scope out to open my uh, my utensils drawer. I have a lot of utensils though. Yeah, I'm not very much. I'm not a minimalist. I don't know if you can tell. I'm not a minimalist. All right. So uh, all right, but can you solve the oil drip problem? Can anyone solve the oil drip problem? Is there a way to put like some sort of like Leave. like. Some sort of what? Like a sleeve, that- or like some sort of like a like a like a something that like vents it away, so that it spills out of the tong before it gets to your wrist. Is there some way to stop that hot oil from getting to your wrist? There's got to be. There's got to be. Maybe that's our collaboration. All right, Re- revision two, revision, revision two. two, and I'll just sit there for I'll just sit there picking pieces of fried chicken out out of a, a, deep, out of a fryer deep fryer and like lifting it over my head. Look at this chicken! Ah! You know what I mean? Like lift the chicken over your head and have the, see whether the oil goes down on my wrist. A real labor yeah. of love. Yeah. Yeah, well, it fits back into one of uh, my last art projects that I never did, which was trying to deep fry myself. Uh, <laughs> it was after I burnt myself with the, with you know, after I horribly burnt myself with my um, St. George and the Dragon piece, I was no longer allowed to consider deep frying myself. Probably good. Most likely. Most likely good. Yeah. Remember... When people used to sell silicone gloves that they told you you could put into a deep fryer mm-hmm. and pull stuff out of, yeah, uh, they cut real easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if I had put my body into one of those and deep fried it, just like one mistake getting caught on something I hadn't ground down, toast. And then it gets like, once it seeps, it gets Your stopped. toast, yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So, uh, Jake, let's get into this. So now you alluded to the fact that you come from restaurant mm-hmm. businesses. Why don't we talk about that? Because I think a lot of people are like, I want to start a business. Well, mm, like it's not that e- it's not that easy. Like how small a community. I mean, I used to know when I was at the French Culinary Institute, I used to hang out with the Mercer Knife people. Yep. 
and you know they were kind of giving me an insight even into the knife world about how small it is. How small is that? Is the community like not tiny? But in other words, like it's US, pretty small. It's yeah. pretty small. And the same people that run each company get fired from one and go run another, and then go work for someone else and go work for someone else. I my my grand my my family started a, a food service equipment business in 1929. So my grandfather was building bars and cigar cases in downtown Boston in the North End, and uh, and over the years that change from a bar building business to starting to sell the supplies the bars used to going beyond bars into restaurants and hotels. So Harbor Food Service, commercial restaurant equipment and supply design installation, that kind of thing. So were they selling bar stuff out of a catalog like the uh, like the like what was the company like the same billiard company used to also do it? Uh, yeah, Bobby. at one point at one yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. And that was that was when North Washington Street in Boston had, you know, 10 different food service equipment dealers. Um, now there's there's none because the big dig drove them all away. Yeah. Um, and and I joked, I, I gave a, a toast at Chip's wedding two months ago. Oh, congratulations. And, 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 I, and I joked that, like, nobody else could have found a way for me to leave my family business and make a salary besides Chip bringing his knowledge of e-com to my knowledge of pots and pans and commercial tools. Well, I mean, but that's undoubtedly true. Yeah. Right? I mean, totally. like, it, like, you can't, like, your business has done amazing things, but it's built on this kind of relatively new concept of direct-to-consumer. And we're a much worse version of that because it's through Amazon and then Amazon controls your money tab. Not only that, we you know don't have the connections or whatever. We, you know, we don't sell things that people want as much as you do. But uh, yeah, so like you really need kind of both. So where did you guys meet up? So I was I was running my family business and uh, and well, we've, we've known each other for yeah we've known years. each other since we were three years old. I don't know. Yeah. Long, but, you, but you're not like you weren't still family wasn't still in Boston at the time. No, we were. I was right. I was working in Boston. I was I was outfitting commercial kitchens. So so I had the first hand knowledge of like what chefs were buying. We were also wholesalers for the big all clads. Who's got the better cannoli? Uh, modern. Okay, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, very very big believer in that. All right, sweet. I grew all up right. in the North End. All right, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, my stepfather's butcher shop was there. They he retired in the eighties though, and it turned into something else. It doesn't even look like a butcher shop anymore. No, it's there's sad. only one one butcher shop left in there. I think. Yeah. Um. Adonisio, so, yeah. Adonisio and Sons was uh, yeah, but Sons. that was back way back. That was cool. like they closed, like I say, in the in the mid eighties. Still yeah. kept a lot of its charm in the North End. Yeah, yeah, for a big city. Yeah, um, yeah, modern, huh? Modern, modern. modern. All right. Um, I can you? How many? I can't. I got to be honest. People are gonna get mad at me. I don't. I can't eat a whole cannoli. It's just too much. <laughs> well, you know they make mini cannolis now. Well, come on, man. Like the mini tongues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mini <laughs> But like, it doesn't flip your cannoli box yeah. over when you, uh, I mean, for any of you, are you a chocolate chip on your cannolis kind of guy? I mean, Undo I, I look, I can, I'll eat any cannoli. Yeah. I'll eat it. But like, you know, when I went to, what was the other one? Mike's right. Or whatever. Yeah. I went to Mike's and modern on the same day, which, you know, you got to build in your line time. Jeez. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, this is a lot of cannoli. So like I I got the planes because I'm like, I gotta try the plane. Yeah. Like, just a lot of filling. Yeah. What did you think? Are you a, are you a Mike's guy? I, I don't re- I don't remember. I believe my my memory was I liked one person's filling and I liked the other person's shell better. Mm-hmm. That was my feeling, but I don't remember which is which. I just remember thinking that this is something too deep for me to get into. And so, but you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, that well, so now we, we're talking food. Uh steak, right? What were we talking about with steak? We're talking about a fillet. Fillet's not a bad cut of meat. Every not a bad cut of meat. Everyone ranks on fillet. Ooh, fillet's not... It's not supposed to be beefy. It's supposed to have be amazingly tender. It doesn't taste bad, man. Like, 
You guys with me on this? So Philly's not terrible. Like, wh- why hate it? What's the point of hating it? I can see why you don't want everyone to go order it, because it's ridiculous to jack up the price of one little cut of meat that's only a little bit other than the whole cow, right? It's bad to eat filet at the expense of other pieces of meat. But if someone hands you filet and they haven't overcooked it and it's not dry, you're like, that was enjoyable eating. No, you disagree. I, the, I, your I looks agree. on the faces. We were you talking about how how difficult it is to cook a porterhouse. How it's like the Thanksgiving turkey of of beef, right? You can't cook one side without overcooking the other. So correct. Well, no, you shouldn't serve it as a porterhouse. But I'm yeah. saying fillet on its own. Yeah, eh, nothing wrong with that. All right, beef. That's the most thing. Beef, beef. Is beef. <laughs> That's what's for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so. You start out making bars yep. in 1929. Yeah. Oh, bad year to start making bars. Yeah. Well, bad year to start making anything. <laughs> How the heck did you guys survive? It's probably a good year for bars, actually. <laughs> Cigar cases. Yeah. I don't even really make those anymore. Wait, did, so the business is still, that part of the business is still alive? No, no carpentry anymore. No. Mm. We buy the modular bars, you know, that you can yeah. just... Yeah. Um, no. So, but now it's it's heavy design and installation of commercial kitchens, and then we sell them everything they need once they get up and running. So you're like a competitor, like Sonny Mattel and those kind of guys, and Trimark, Wasserstrom, that yeah, yeah. that biz. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're more boutique, regional, New England, but um, yeah. So so I was I was selling 15 different brands of cookware, everything from the Winco's and you know import stuff to the all clad Maviel Citram. So could kind of see firsthand what chefs wanted, where the value was. I had. People calling me every day saying I'm moving into a new apartment. What what cookware am I buying? I have no idea. So I would you know say like I'll sell you some Maviel and I'll just sell it to you at my wholesale pricing, which was 50 percent of what they made us sell it for, right? Which is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot lower. Yeah, that's a and, good deal. Yeah. And then and then one time Chip called me and he said, Hey, I want to do do my own business in the e-com space. And I was looking at the kitchen. Nobody had really disrupted the kitchen space direct to consumer. And and that, that's when it clicked. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, nobody cares about kitchen tools outside of the the super passionate home cooks and chefs, right? How do you, how do you build a brand that people are loyal about that teaches you why the tools you buy matter and get them excited about investing in tools like they're excited about investing in grass fed steak and curating the perfect recipe and finding the right wine producers and that kind of stuff. And I think what was interesting about having Jake as a partner in this was he was a product guy first and he had been selling products for, you know, his family hundred years, as he mentioned. And I think that's a lot different than a lot of the DTC companies out there, which, you know, the first thing they run to is what brand are we going to create? What are we going to stand for? What is our color palette, et cetera. The first thing we did over the next 12 months after that kind of initial call he mentioned was work on the product and have chefs test, test the product, get it in the hands of all the chefs that Jake had relationships with in Boston. Um, so it really was like a product driven company. Once we landed on where we wanted to go with the product, it was, what does the brand stand for? And what's the color palette and all the stuff that comes after that. Yeah. I mean, color palette, I don't pay attention to it, but it's important. Uh, Should we get rid of red? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, hot so, take in the so guys, yeah, here's, here's what happened. So like I, I have a ma- I have a, I have a made in, um, uh, um, enamel, uh, enamel cast iron, uh, Dutch oven, right? Uh, beautiful actually. Here's what I have to say. Like, uh, for those of you that you know have heard me before, like uh, I I I try to be straight. I try to be straight with you, right? So like uh, like the handles on this thing like blow the pants off of anyone else's handles. The, even the little hex nut on the bottom. So if you've ever had uh, a Dutch oven with a crappy little like half standard half Phillips uh, thing on the bottom, and you look at it and you're just like, yeah, right. Uh, I forget whether it's seven or eight millimeter. I had to take it off the other day because uh, 
your uh, so I was I was testing cooking bread. So anyway, so it's a beautiful uh, on mine. I have a red enamel. Uh, the inside, I guess, is whitish cream, cream, yeah. cream. Uh, <laughs> and it's got a brass handle. And then the underside is a sweet custom uh, uh, hex bolt with a flange on it. So, again, if you don't think about it, when you're when you're screwing a hex nut, a regular, sorry, a hex bolt down, uh, it puts a lot of stress right where the where the points of the hex are. So they bought a very nice uh, with a custom logo on it. Uh, uh, hex bolt that has a, its own built-in smooth flange so that it wouldn't mess up the uh, enamel uh, where it gets screwed down. And when I undid it, I was like, nice touch. Uh, but then, like, uh, the reason I had to take the handle off was because, I mean, I guess some people might do it for cleaning, but uh, it, it wouldn't fit into my oven with the uh, with the handle on, into my Breville oven with the handle mm. on. And it was hot, so I wasn't heating up my big oven to, yeah. to test it. So I take this beautiful, like, uh, I mean, fire engine red? It's like fire engine red. Like yeah. shiny. Made in red. Made in red. It's made in red. <laughs> you know what color We're rebranding it? the fire hydrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what color they make those uh, fire things? They make them made in red. <laughs> Although now... Everyone uses lime green. I don't think anyone's going to buy that lime that lime green fire truck color for uh, for a potter. Maybe uh, they will. You'd be surprised. Well, Instagram so, man. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> the thing is, like, who's got the kind of? We'll talk about this in a second. Well, okay. So here's what I do. I take this thing, and I duly went on the website, and they're like, "It's good to five fifty mm-hmm. uh, Fahrenheit," and I was like, "Damn." That's higher than, and because they're using a brass handle and brass, they, they don't have the problems with the phenolic breakdown for mm-hmm. people who use phenolic handles. Just as an FYI, I'm pretty sure that the enamel is fine on competitors' brands up to the same temperatures, but it's just the the uh, uh, the handle that gets hosed, mm-hmm. right? Would you say I'm right about that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, they're I mean, fired the at like yeah. 1,200 degrees. Right. Well, before I finish, what I'm going to say, like, how much of a problem do you have with enamel spalling uh, when they, with thermal shock? Any? I've never had it happen on mine, but of course, I don't thermally shock my. No, we haven't had an issue with that. I mean, we we launched these, we we tested them for. We actually have spent four years making this product. We tried to make it in the U.S. first, couldn't figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Are you making it, it like in, in France? In France? Yeah, yeah. So we're making it in France with a factory that really knows what they're doing. Not, not one with of the, the big not guys. With the, not with the Belgian weasels. You don't like those Belgian weasels? No, we don't. I don't think I'm we know these people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, but the because uh, didn't they, didn't that production start in Belgium? Didn't the initial uh, the cast the Dutch iron oven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, big in Belgium, big in Czech. Um, but but France is the OG, and that's where we go for right. We go to the places where they've really been mastering this product and, yeah. and find somebody that well, can. Well, that's the other thing. So even before we finish that, this is like tangent on top of a tangent yeah. on top of a tangent, but almost impossible, I know for from personal bitter, bitter, bitter experience, almost impossible to build relationships from scratch. You know what I mean? With these companies to get them to do what you want because it, it is a huge, it's a huge like piece of trust on their part to even devote part of their factory for however long the run is and to go to make a new product. So I'm sure a lot of that was a little bit easier because you had... That was it. I mean, that was... We could go in and, you know, for better or worse, talk the talk, walk the walk. We we know the history of a lot of the brands. We know which brands went bankrupt, which brand bought who else. So we go in and talk to these factory owners and we don't look like two direct-to-consumer dweebs that are trying to, you know, corrupt the market. We, we are pas- we're passionate about cookware, right? right? We know the stories behind the brands. Right, and but like... I think even in today, like everyone thinks that all of these old things have been erased, but they have not, right? Like, like companies are still run by human beings who have a history and want you to somehow be connected to that history, or you have to somehow give them a reason to take a chance on you. 
You know what I mean? Exactly. Take a chance, take a chance. Because there is always a chance, right? Like, uh, well, you were, I was talking to you about a different thing on the phone, and you told me a, a story, maybe you remember what the product was, where you thought you were going to do gangbusters, and they didn't make the product for you. Wasn't that you were talking yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. We, we had a factory that, you know, we started working with, and we it wasn't our first collection, so we knew what kind of scale we could do within the first year, and we gave them our forecasts, and they were all excited and said, you know, yep, we're good. We'll be able to make all this stuff for you. And then come Q3, they started to drastically cut our production or our forecasts. We said, what's going on? They said, well, to be honest with you, we, we thought you were lying to us when you gave us our numbers. We've, we've, been making, we've been making this product for 500 years, 500 years in the family. And they said, we've never seen a retail brand scale the way you have. Um, so we just discounted it ourselves and assumed you wouldn't get there. And we're like, well, we're Thanks. going in a holiday. Thanks, what are we, we going to do about it oh now? Oh, my God. You know what? Like, why is it that you can't explain to people not in the U.S. how important that Thanksgiving holiday crap is? You can't explain it to them. I, why Chip, can't I you? Mean, why I mean, can't you explain it? I, I mean, the consumer in the U.S. is a, a special breed, I guess. I mean, that last that last sixty days of the year is right. unbelievably yeah. important for our business. Right, it's like a quarter of your um, our More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but my point is, is that like, why can't why do you have a technique to help explain to somebody in another country how important it is to hit that deadline? Because I have not been successful. I mean, Amazon gets a lot of of heat. I think as more of these international brands use Amazon as the way to penetrate the U.S. from a retail perspective, they're starting to see it as well. And it's basically acting as the new retailer for them, um, a lot of the her heritage brands that we've talked to. So I think it'll it'll come around. They needed to see it firsthand. It's one of those things where until you see it, you don't believe it. Um, but it's starting to come around. Yeah. So back to back to my, my, uh, my Dutch oven, my beautiful yep. red, made, made in, in red, red, made in red Dutch oven. So I stick it in to my oven to preheat because I'm doing bread, right? So I had used it already on the, I had done some evaporation tests because you guys, no one does this with their pots and pans, but if you want, if you're going to do long-term braises and, and Dutch ovens are very good at braises, right? What you want to do uh, before you use your pan for like a lot of stuff is just get a feel for how much liquid's evaporating out of it uh, in a given amount of time at a given setting, whatever your setting is. Don't listen to a cookbook because they don't know your equipment. They don't know your oven. They don't know you, right? Just get a gauge for it. And this way, you'll kind of get an internal knowledge of when you should add liquid back to your thing or how much you're going to lose over the course of a braise, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a good idea to do that a lot of people don't do. Anyway, so when you have a liquid in your in your oven, nothing happens. But I have a, a, an empty, dry, made in red, and I stick it in. 482 degrees, which is the hottest the Breville will do, 480, you know, super convection to really jack it. Uh, and I come back to put the bread in, and it's now brick red. It's now like a, like, brick red. I was like, I've killed it! It's destroyed! Oh my god, I'm hosed! Oh my god, my wife loved this color! Oh, jeez! Uh, and so then... You know, I put the bread in, close the thing, you know, wait 15 minutes for the steaming to happen, to go to take the lid off, take the lid off. I'm dejected. I'm like, here, I've destroyed this thing. And uh, while I'm waiting for the bread to finish that 30 minutes, the lid cools off, goes back to being its normal color again. I was like... They should sell this as a... It's a mood could, ring. Yeah, well, or it's like, I'm so freaking hot, don't touch me. You know what I mean? Like, you should sell it as like a, a thing. So then I, we, we email Maiden, 
And they're like, oh, yeah, that happens on not just us. Everyone's red. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why does anyone tell you this? Because the first time someone does it, they're like, I've destroyed this. It's toast. I mean, maybe the relief of it going back to its normal color is like better than never having it had happen at all. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> Man, yeah, we often joke about like when a customer gets a product, we, we have to hype up a product when a customer buys it enough that they want to buy it but not so much that when they get it, they're disappointed. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a sweet spot, right? You know that when yeah, you're making yeah, yeah. products. So, I mean, that's a little surprise and delight for you. <laughs> Easter egg for you. Your reds are going to turn, <laughs> like, it's not that it's an unattractive color, but it goes from being, like, it goes to being, like, uh, that, like, 70s earth tone kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Not, like, 70s punch, like, 70s earth tone. You know, I don't know. It would have been... I would have felt bad if it hadn't gone back, yeah. but it did. It's normal. It's chemistry. I don't understand, but it's normal. Yes, it's with the with the glazes. Anyway, yeah. uh, oh man. Uh, okay. So, uh, okay. What are we going? Let's answer some of the the questions from people before I ask the rest of my questions. Like, for instance, once and for all, guys, this is not a question people asked. How do you properly measure a pan? Right? They measure when you're measuring something quartz. Are you measuring it to the rim? Are you me- where are you measuring? To the rim. Okay. Inches on a, on a saute or a fry. Got to give both. But the, if you're going to give one number, it's from outer to outer. Outer to outer. But why? Because everyone's slope is so different, and I don't cook with the outer rim of my saute pan. I cook with the bottom of my saute pan. That's market, though, right? So, I mean, again, maybe you put the asterisk like, you know, the internal diameter is this. But I think if you look at a 12-inch fry pan, across market, it's 12 inches from rim to rim. Yeah, yeah, but so or for, centimeters if you're. I mean, in, the one that bothers us the most is pieces in a set. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, let Chip go on this and, rant. <laughs> you, you know, we're sitting there, and our lid is not a piece. And if we sit there and say our six-piece set is a three-piece set, we will lose the internet customer all day long because all clad sitting there with a three-piece set that they've said six-piece set, set ten years ago to do right. twenty years ago, right? And so um, we tried that. We were like, we are going to be the ones who... We're going to be the honest ones. Three-piece? Yeah, it's a three-piece set. It is. And then, and like, your three-piece is the same as all-clad six-piece. Exactly. Yeah. And they go with all-clad all day long. It's... What if you put, like, a, a key ring, and then, like, you can count the packing inserts as a... 15-piece. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, your packing material is very nice, by the way. Thank, Thank you. Um, important. It is important, even though we... Like, at Booker and Dax, where we decided to go, like, craft, craft paper only, like, not retail pack, but, you know, maybe we're stupid. I don't know. The other thing is like we're trying to move away. We were trying to move away from um, like plastic at all in our packaging. Yep. You know what I mean? And they were like, uh, our factories. It would cost you so much to use renewables because their factories are just set up to do uh, EPS. I'm kind of depressing. Have you yeah. guys seen? We've been co-investing a lot with our factories. Um, we just moved a lot of almost all of our tape or all of our tape uh, to waterless tape, which is non-plastic, and they were resistant as well. There was a ton of. Uh, pushback on us, and we've been co-investing in machinery and, and packaging materials. We, most of our factories are still family-owned, and they're like, yeah, this is awesome. We would love to do this, but, like, we can't figure it out, or we don't want to take the step. But if you guys are going to push us there, like, help us, and we'll do it. And right. I think they're most mostly happy. Right, and a dollar to a dollar to them is $2 to you is $4 to the consumer, and they're exactly. like, is the consumer willing to pay that? And it, in a normal situation, not in your situation, but in a normal where there's another middle person, that's another two multiple, roughly, right? Because, like, with all the losses and everything, totally. so... We're, we're big believers, though, that sooner than later, that's going to become required to do business, is you're going to have to, you're going to have to make those sacrifices or pay up for that kind of environmentally sound process, and so we're just trying to get out in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. More on measurement. I noticed you have a pie pan, 
and you give the quartz in it, which is nice. Uh, and then, uh, but what do you call it? You call it a nine inch. Now, where are you measuring that sucker? You measuring that rim to rim? Uh, internal rim to in. So that one has a, a thin little rim. So that one might be internals. But internal, but not base. Not base. Not base. We we, we had a whole thing with our. I mean, we could talk about rectangular baking dishes, and and the the perfect baking dish right. never accounts for the height of the. Of the pan. I, to me, it's a huge nightmare that you guys can kind of, and you do address by giving multi, more multiple mm -hmm. measurements than most people yep. do, but uh, recipes are a nightmare about this, especially for things like pies, because like the slopes on different pie pans are completely different. You know what I mean? Completely different. And so like how you measure makes a huge difference. I mean, I'm not going to say I agree with you guys. You guys like only deep pies. You are deep pie people. Texas. Yeah. All right. Fair. <laughs> uh, but a lot of your bakeware you teamed with Nancy Silverton, right? Yep. Talk about OGs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was she involved with the pie one or just she's, with the square yeah, one? Yeah, she, she's awesome. I mean, she gives her feedback on kind of a lot of our baking stuff and even a bread knife that we co-designed with her. Um, she's a customer first, and then we started to talk to her about what she wanted to bring to market. Um, but the recipes is a huge thing, right? We, we actually hired a, a, a culinary director, um, Rhoda Boone, who joined us and she was moved from New York. And because every chef sends us their recipe when we're giving customers recipes, but we need to standardize it to your point for our product. Um, so we're now in taking all those recipes, making sure on our stuff, they're cooked and measured and portioned properly. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, like, cause I'm working on this book now. I'm just yeah. like looking at my pans. I'm like, God damn. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. it's especially things like pies. Yeah. You know, like, I have three different pie plates from the same man. Here's another thing on pies. I agree with you coming out with, uh, I like, I like uh, glass and porcelain stoneware for pie. I really do. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times, especially like silvery, cheap, punched out pie tins, you just, they just don't brown. They're not emissive enough. The emissivity on those things is not high enough to get a good brown crust on the bottom in the time allotted for the pie to cook, even at the temperatures you're jacking, because... You know, the upper part is going to get over before the bottom part gets the color you want. So, I, you know, and also for service, you know, you really, that porcelain, as you say, the filling's never going to stick to it. I think it's the way to go. Like glass and porcelain on, on pie, I really like it. The only thing about our porcelain, I, I love it. Awesome quality. It's the only product we make that doesn't, isn't aligned with our home cooks and our professional chef's cooks because in the professional kitchens, they don't use porcelain bakeware. No, they can't. Right. So everything else is like same for home, same for restaurant, same for home, same for restaurant. We make awesome porcelain bakeware for home and the restaurants are like, where's my metal stuff? Right. So we're working through it. Do you know who I used to like a lot for uh, like uh, uh, bakeware? Chicago Metallic. Yeah. That talk about OG metal stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chicago Metallic makes some really, and they're... Their uh, release goop, whatever they paint on their uh, stuff, they do a good job, but I hardly see them at the, you have to only buy maybe from them. It's, it's not as common as it once was, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure they're on Amazon, but they're, they're a great company and they're still making everything here in the U.S. They're muffin pans. Yeah. Did they trademark release goop or can we have that? <laughs> <laughs> I think Gwyneth Paltrow trademarked. Yeah, well, uh, well <laughs> going, to re going to release goop, uh, you have a set of nonsticks, yep. and uh, the big thing is, well, look, if you overheat Teflon next to a bird, it'll die. The lung. I don't know if they die. The lungs will have issues. Well, they need those lungs to live. Yeah. yeah. Depends on how much they're flying. Yeah. So, uh, well, okay, John's telling me we only have five minutes, so let me do the listener questions. All right. Uh, from the science slut, uh, do you guys plan on making any copper core stainless clat? Well, your copper has stainless on the inside, so it's not reactive, right? It's not tinned. 
it's stainless on the inside. So Correct. it's one up over those ones that you have to go back to. Retin uh, or. Yeah. yeah. What was that place? Uh, what's that place? I can never pronounce it. De, De Hilleran. De, in Paris? Yeah. Well, yeah. How, do you, how are you supposed to pronounce that place? Delaren. Delaren? Yeah. That is a sick store. There are some gems in the basement oh there. Oh my God. Uh, if you've never been to that store, it's on that whatever that island is near where Les All used to be, right? And it's like, isn't it right near the. The Ile de whatever Ile de France or whatever. If you're a Patreon member, it's on the shared Google Maps. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you go last time you were in Paris? No, I did. I haven't. I didn't know about it until you told me about it, and so I need to go. But you yeah. gotta go. I know. It's I haven't great. been to Paris yet. Yeah. Uh, gotta go. I mean, yeah. If you want, if you like surly French service, go. You know what I mean. Uh, if you want to not be taken seriously, no matter who you are, go. <laughs> anyway. Um, do you plan on making a copper core stainless clad cookware? I really enjoy the evenness of uh, the copper core pans on my control freak and would love to uh, use a source other than all clad. Oh, right, because the bottom on induction. And the induction won't go through the copper and heat the stainless because it's not magnetic stainless? Okay, so what's the answer? Yeah, so, so all clad does that copper core where the middle layer is copper. So you don't even really get to see copper other than like a nice aesthetic band around it to, sh- to flex that you have the copper yeah. core. Um, we've talked a lot about it. I mean, our, our hypothesis... Or, or, or approach to making products is do one type of each category. So, and, and that may change over time, but right now we do one type of cladded cookware and it's aluminum core because we think it's the best value to performance to accessibility ratio, right? What we're very cognizant about is starting to introduce multi levels of the same category because then I think that's where customers get really confused. Now I get for, I get confused and I know yeah, a lot exactly. So, and for certain customers, they're they're very specific. They know that they're looking for. But I think our customers trust us to make one version of each category the right way and kind of trust us blindly to buy it and and know that they're going to be happy with it. We don't want to give people decision paralysis. So I'm guessing because you went with five layer clad yep. that you think that that the performance of uh, five is better than three, but that seven is just a load of hooey. Correct. Yeah. More or less. And, 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 he was and trying the, to look political about it, <laughs> if you could see in the podcast studio. <laughs> I mean, well, the, and, the, and the difference in price between five and three is super minimal from a raw materials perspective. So you might as well flex up to that five. Right, right, right. And what is the, the so they, the, the, what they, so for those of you that don't know, the original, the original patent was on, uh, uh, well, you could use whatever you want, but it's an induction-friendly stainless bottom, then an aluminum layer, and then uh, you know a you know not a non usually non-magnetic right, yep. just like super like surgical stainless on the inside. Uh, they they make them in sheets, correct? Yep. So the sheets are made, and then those things are stamped, and then either you weld or rivet the handles. You guys went with rivets. You must have thought the welding wasn't strong enough. I, I had really negative experience with commercial pans that were welding handles. Um, even like the, even like Volrath, if people don't do it, oh, those ex- those exact ones. I really? had a lot of chefs that had issues with it when we were selling them, like the Centurions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it was it was actually more of the wherever the right. the smooth wherever ones. They were right. like the Z 4010s. right? And those were falling off. Huh, huh, yeah. And and the flush the flush rivets are just really expensive, right? Yeah, like making those flush rivets. It, it's is a just, crazy technology to do that. Yeah. Because they have to like rivet it flat and then grind it flat on the inside and not hurt the pan surface and not yeah hurt it. And, and very select people set up that machinery to do it. And I guess most home cooks aren't worried about like you know I know like Wiley. By the way, first uh, uh, thing I got from your your brand when I first learned about it was I went to Wiley Dufresne, my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, are you made it any good or is it a load of horse crap?" He's like, "No, it's really good." I was like, "Oh." Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool to hear. Because, you know, when I see something on the internet, I'm like, those guys are full of crap. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> my first. Honestly, our hardest challenge, because there's so many competing brands on Instagram, on Facebook that are, as you mentioned, uh, you know, lower product quality, but have yeah. great marketing. And so 
you know, we talk a lot about how do we differentiate ourselves as a DTC brand or as a, a kind of internet first brand um, to show that we are professional quality, made the right way, live up to your yeah. standards. Yeah. Which, you know, again, my standards may not be normal, but they are high. Uh, so the, uh, so the, the point of adding the, so the, obviously the, the, the reason to have those three layers, like aluminum is fantastic, inductor and stainless is crap, right? Aluminum pits, uh, has lots of other problems, right? Um, and you want like, you know, basically within reason you want, uh, not really, I mean, whatever. If you like, if you like a pan to be even, you want the aluminum to be thick. If you want the pan to be very reactive, you want it to be thinner. Most people, most people, Kenji's book on wok cooking aside mm -hmm. where he wants very reactive cookware, most people want even and not reactive. That's my guess. True yep, or false? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you want the thicker ones, which is why like some of the commercial, like, uh, super thick base guys I actually really like cooking with, but no home person would buy them. I don't know why. Home people don't like discs. They only like uh, fully clad, right? Why? Probably an aesthetic thing. Easy to clean. Easier to clean. Uh -huh. um, yeah. I, I mean, I think I think the fully clad looks better too, right? And, and then the other thing is, it actually, when you have a disc, the 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 walls tend to be thinner. So when you're making a soup at home, you have to really be stirring that thing all the time. Otherwise, the walls get a lot hotter than the base, right. which end up burning the top of the soup. So, well, Especially if you have a, a big burner that can loop exactly, over, over the exactly. disc. But even even those uh, those Belgian weasels, De Mayer, they moved away from uh, discs, even though they were the original OG disc folk. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I mean not, and they're not weasels. I don't, Just I don't know. an additional point of failure, too. I mean, we sell everything with a lifetime warranty, so... Uh, yeah. Just so, correct... Correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the additional layers there are actually to slow down conduction so that you get a more even thing, right? Put little slowdowns, like put little like mm -hmm. traps in the way, and you find that that actually is beneficial. In yeah, and, and for us, the middle of the five layers is actually an aluminum alloy, which is stronger than, I mean, why you would use stainless, which is stronger than the two aluminums, aluminums on each side, because aluminum alloy won't actually bond to stainless. Okay. So that's why there's, you know, three layers instead of one, because you couldn't do only aluminum alloy, and by adding the alloy, it actually makes the interior stronger. Got it. So it's a sturdier pan, less prone to warpage. Correct. So people get real worried when they're putting pans in, in from hot and putting cold water on them, and on a regular aluminum pan, it will. I have seen them warp, right? Uh, but on the clad ones, do you really have to worry about it that much? I mean, I'm not going to tell people to do it, but do you really need to worry about it that much? We've seen, I mean... Our first restaurant install was when we launched at the end of 2017, uh, high volume steakhouse. Never had any issues with pans warping. No. What know? about on the carbon steel? Don't worry, we keep going for a little oh, while. Cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. What about carbon steel? Uh, carbon steel, the incidence of warping we see is when people put it on induction and heat it up too quickly. Carbon steel is induction compatible. But when you heat it up too quickly on induction, that's when it can get a little bit wonky. Well, because it can overheat, it can get almost to the curing exactly. point on that ring. Exactly. Because carbon steel, believe it or not, not as good a conductor of heat as people seem to think it is. It's just, you know, anyway. All right. Uh, Science Slut also believes that you should do a collaboration with uh, Laren Thomas, the knife engineer, uh, knife uh, uh, engineering author. Is that you're shaking your head like that might be in the works? No, not, not, not particularly. I mean. We he, love he's knife got that collabs. Cool steel. He's got that cool steel. We love limited drops of knives. Like it's been a huge part of our brand. We'll put three thousand knives on sale one morning. Special edition, special handle, special design, and our customers eat them up. Yeah. So maybe sometime in the maybe. future. Maybe. on it. the show once. Yeah. Dale Vengroff wrote in a question. Cool. Uh, can you tell us about uh, uh, 
how you think about branding and marketing so your products stand out instead of being commodities. For example, on your website, you say, French foodies and professional chefs have been using carbon steel for centuries. That suggests commodity, but you still manage to sell the carbon steel products at a premium relative to some of the French brands like uh, uh, Bourgeois. It is impressive that your marketing strategy enables you to pull this off. Can you tell us more about how you think about marketing and pricing versus uh, these established competitors? Yeah, I mean, we pick, I, you know, we pick the thicknesses, the gauges, the fittings, um, all to be premium performance and what would hold up in restaurant kitchens, which is not necessarily the case. So I think part of it is for the discerning cook who actually understands that. And then um, it's not like we're pricing in any sort of gouging way or anything like that. We actually are picking the most premium finishes, nonstick coatings, um, you know, our, our rivets, for instance, our 304 stainless steel, That's so that they are not a point of failure over the lifetime of the pan. Um, so then it's about how you get that across on the internet. Well, on you have website. that section that says, why is it cost this? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like on exactly. everything, yeah. you're like, why is it costing this? All right, and, one last question for me if they, before uh, Joe cuts me off here. Uh, how do you decide what factory you're going to go to? Your Japanese stuff is made by the Sabatier kind of style factories in, how do you pronounce that town? T-H-I-E-R, Frenchman? Tears. Tears? Yeah. Anyway, I actually really love old Sabatier stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I really freaking love old, old, old Sabatier. I mean, like, I sliced my steak with it because I was like, whoosh, it feels so good. <laughs> but like, what made you, like, how do you choose which factory you're going to do what with? We love to go to places that have been making the product for hundreds of years and where we can find family-owned factories that are still running it and are passionate about making it the right way. All right. Uh, well, you want to say anything on the on the way out? I mean, you've already you know broken your PR rules and like told us about the new utensil set coming no, out. I'm, I'm ready to talk about some more collabs with you. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks, guys, for coming on. Cooking Issues. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you.